What's up? What's up? Greetings, everybody. Good afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this podcast, we are Lighthouse Educator Development, the Lighthouse Educator. Educating. Let's start that over again. (laughs) All right. What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to our thirteenth podcast, podcast. number thirteen. Lucky number thirteen. Uh, I am Wilkie Law of the Lighthouse Educator Development Project. I'm here with Kyle Krieger. Hey, hey. My co-founder, and we're here to inspire some teachers. That we are. That's what we um, do. So we're going to start off our segment, as we always do in our podcast, with a clear the air. So, Kyle, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. Um, give me a little bit of clear the air. Um, clear the air. Let me think. What do I want to clear the air on? Um... Uh, I'm excited to uh, head back to Wisconsin next week. Uh, this is Thursday. Uh, by the time this comes out, I will already be back in Wisconsin. But my sister, my older sister, is due any day now with their second child. So I'm really excited to go meet him or her. They don't know whether it's a boy or a girl. I haven't told anybody names. So really looking forward to that. So hopefully... Potentially, by the time this comes out, the baby might be here, might not. Uh, she's due the 23rd, so that's still like 10 days away, but uh, really excited for that. Going to be an uncle for the second time biologically. I have lots of nieces and nephews that are not biological, but uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. That's going to be awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. It's exciting news, man. I, yeah, awesome, exciting. I'm almost jealous, <clears throat> but... Good. I get to live vicariously through you in that aspect. Um, I know how wonderful my my two nieces, my my sister just adopted uh, two little girls, um, and oh man, they're both of them amazing. Watching them grow and develop and get used to this new family that they're a part of, and 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 become our own. You know, one of them calls me uncle. I really like that. That she she knows I'm uncle. So feels pretty good. So I know you feel the same way with Beckett. So. All right, so my clear the air is, um, uh, as Kyle said, you know, this is Thursday, and I just have to clear the air. I'm, I, as I've stated before, I'm a huge LeBron James fan, uh, and I just want to just, just shout out to these haters about LeBron. I mean, they, they question his status of being one of the greatest um, to lace up a pair of sneakers. Um, I think he's still developing. I don't think he's, he's done. He's not done yet. He's not about to retire. He's not at that age yet. Um, and I think before it's all said and done, I think he will be there. But I think that more than just what he does on the court, you look at him as a person, what he does in his community. And I think that, that when you leave that type of footprint, it's kind of hard for people to sit and hate. I mean, I've, I was involved in a lot of chats during the finals and people just, I mean, just hating on him. And I'm like, it should not be the fact that you look at, I mean, just the fact that he left Cleveland to go to Miami to come back to Cleveland. You know, if I was at a job and, and I knew I wanted to make more money or someone provided me with a better opportunity, would I stay in that same job just because of loyalty to that company? Or would I do my best to try to advance? I think advancement is never wrong. Um, did I did I regret that he left Cleveland when he did? Yeah, I think he, he could have stayed and toughed it out. Maybe. But, I mean, that's a personal choice. And I don't think that we should judge him based on the personal choice that he made. Because he also made another personal choice to return home. 
and to play for his home team. So um, to all the LeBron haters, I'd say check his full resume, put him against your best player as a total person, not just as a player, and then see if you're still in a position of hate. So I just had to get that off my chest. Yeah, I like uh, it. I like it. Okay, so our we connect card, it is a green card. It says, what do you have on your refrigerator door? Ah, <laughs> uh, what do I have on my refrigerator door? I guess one of the things that stick, well, I have a lot on my refrigerator door. My refrigerator serves almost like a whiteboard. Um, <laughs> um, one of the things that I have on the side of my, ref- on my, on my refrigerator door, I have the golden circle. Simon Sinek, um, as a reminder of keeping my why in the middle. Um, I think that's the most important, is to to keep that understanding of why I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And it's kind of now serving as a reminder when I have those late night snack binges and I go to the refrigerator and I look at it and I look at the why and I say, oh, I just recently put my daughter's report card there. So I'm like, okay, she is my why. So then I choose to go healthy snack versus getting bad snacks. And there's still some there in the house, but the the yeah, the I, why helps me. Yeah, I can't I can't front I had Sonic earlier. <laughs> I, I had Sonic ice cream in the middle of the day because I was just like I was it, I just craved it. So But I did have no I did have lunch today, Jason's deli, and I did not eat my cookie. Ooh. It's still in my bag. It's a good cookie. I didn't even do it. I, they were like you're not gonna eat your cookie. Good, that's a good cookie. It is a good cookie, but I didn't do it. Because again, mission minded. You know, been getting my burners in in the morning, fifteen minutes, just quick little burners. I feel the difference, even though I don't see the difference. But the feeling is what I love. So, gone to the gym. I told you about my being accountability. So I'm being accountable. Yeah. Have been to the Y to go get my workout in. I'm gonna go nice. swim. I'm gonna go do swimming, and I'm gonna go do yoga on Saturday morning. So, pretty excited about that. So that's what's on my that's refrigerator good. door. That's good. So. Uh, you know, it's funny. We we just were we're in uh, we're in my dining room, uh, and we were just in my kitchen. And he pointed out a picture of me. I want to say I was uh, four or five with my two best friends from high school that I grew up with, Kevin and Ryan Miller. Um, and it's a picture of us camping, and we've all got swords or little toy guns. And it's it's my favorite picture from my childhood. And my mom found it a few years ago. So she, she printed me out a nice five by seven of it. So it's on my, on my refrigerator along with a bunch of pictures of my nephew and all the rest of my family and friends. So, but that one stood out to me because we were just, we were just talking about that. So. Awesome. Awesome. I, you know, I really, I, I think the refrigerator is almost like a marquee to kind of keep us focused on what's the main thing. Um, because I have other things on mine, but that's the most significant on mine is that, um, my daughter used to draw me pictures, and I would always hang our pictures up every week. And I think it's just kind of a reminder. Because, I mean, think about how often we go to our refrigerator every day. I mean, at or least four or five times a right. day. Right. So it just kind of like gives you, know, takes you to that happy place every time. Yeah. Especially, you know, now that the refrigerator's got the water, the water dispenser mm-hmm. and the ice dispenser. I'm there probably six, seven, eight, <laughs> ten times a day now. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good question. Yeah, great question. All right. Again, big shout out to our friends. Over at We Connect, Chad Littlefield, Will Wise, uh, big shout out. Excited that we're going to get an opportunity to see them again uh, this coming October at the Mentoring Institute at the University of New Mexico. Um, last year was a great time. Looking forward to connect with some of those guys we connected with last time. And 
and make this year a bigger success than it was last year. So, Absolutely. big shout out to We Connect. Again, check them out at www.weand.me. All right. Nice. Today's podcast, we're going to focus on something that I is near and dear to me, uh, and I think is near and dear to Kyle also. It's what we really want to focus on is exemplary classroom leadership. Um, exemplary classroom leadership, not just classroom leadership. Is it exemplary or is it exemplary? Exemplary. I mean, yeah. I guess it depends on where you're from. Yeah, all right. I just want to make sure we were thinking about the same word. <laughs> exemplary classroom leadership. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about in this, dealing with this topic is falling into the friend zone. Now we know it when you, you know, they tell guys, you know, you meet, you have a good friend, you meet a girl and you know, they say, be careful, don't fall into the friend zone. Um, because yeah. then that prevents any opportunity for kind of furthering your relationship. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I can say that's not true because my wife is my best friend and has been for the last 20 years. And we were in the friend zone, and now she's my wife, and it makes it better because we are friends. Yeah. But as a classroom teacher, Kyle, you want to help me talk about um, what do you think about as a teacher becoming that friend to students that you teach? I think it's it's a fine line between being friendly and, and being a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, I really love the way you used to say it to kids or whatever, you know, when they would ask you if you and them were friends and you say, I'm a 40 year old man. It would be inappropriate for me to be friends with someone that's 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, we see it a lot or we see, we've seen more of it in the recent years or since that where when you're in the friend zone, when you're a friend of your students, then you don't necessarily think clearly when it comes to making choices. You get too comfortable, and that's where you know the friend zone can lead to to those, not necessarily to bad things, but to situations that you wouldn't necessarily want to find yourself in. And I've I always felt good about the relationships I have with kids. I was always friendly, but you definitely I don't consider kids a friend the way I would consider you a friend. Absolutely not, and I think. You, you hit it on the head, you know, when I always tell kids that that's inappropriate. That's an inappropriate relationship to say, I'm a 40-year-old man and I have, you know, in, in the course of a year, a thousand friends that are 12, 13 years old, um, you know, with the population that we have at, uh, at my campus. And I think that that fine line is, how do I, as you said, be friendly, befriend my students but not fall into that friend zone. And I think that teachers have to understand that there's a difference between befriending and, and, and being their friend. Um, I love the fact that students look at me and say, you're like my friend. I can talk to you about anything. You, you help me. I, you understand me. You get what I'm going through. That's great. I can look like a friend. You know, we just had a conversation at, at, in curriculum writing that ratios look like fractions, but they don't function the same way. And I think that's the same way with teachers. It, we may look like friends, but we don't really function the same way. There's a different function between that teacher-student relationship that has to be sustained in order for it to be a successful interaction throughout that student's career. 
Because again, we've seen this too many times where that gray area of being a friend has gotten a lot of teachers in a lot of trouble. Um, and we won't go into that into this podcast, but that's one thing that, that we want to look at in that is, is as teachers, as you're going and you're preparing for next year, think about how can I be conscious of that friend zone and keep myself from going there with my students. And I think it's really important that teachers take some of the best things that come from a friend relationship mm-hmm. and they apply it to their students. The accountability that you and I have to each other is a great quality of a friendship that you can take to the relationship with your students. Empathy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that positive interaction. Absolutely. But, you know, when it comes to making decisions and making choices and going through, you know, the things that those kids are going through, you shouldn't be friendly with them because you have a completely different perspective. Like, if you're thinking on their same level, even if you're 23 and teaching high school, you shouldn't be thinking on their same level. Right. And with their maturity level. But I, I do think it's not... We don't want to confuse being friendly and taking the best a- aspects of a friend relationship. And it's really... It's the best aspects of any relationship. Absolutely. It's- you know, the relationship that, you know, we have, you know, you have with your wife or, you know, the relationship I have with my siblings or the three, you know, you and Ben and I, they all have the same characteristics of accountability, support, you know, happiness, joy, and a realization that with all my closest people, we realize that not all the, it's not always going to be good. And I think in a friend relationship, you expect that everything's going to be perfect. And then when that perfection is broken, especially when you're young, you want to just, I'm cutting bait, I don't need this relationship anymore, as to where, as to where you fuss on to me, we, we have a disagreement about direction or whatever it is, and we can get, we can get into some pretty heated discussions, but we know that it's not a personal, it's not a personal attack, Mm -hmm. and I think when you're too friendly with a kid, when you try to you know, correct or discipline or guide them, they get too often confuse that with, oh, now you don't yeah. like me You're anymore. not my friend anymore. You don't like me anymore. We used to be cool, but now you don't like me. Yeah, no, I'm still the same person. Yeah. Just, but you're just going to... And, it, and then it, it gives the kid an out to separate their behavior. They can say, oh, it's just that Mr. Law doesn't like me. It's not, well, my behavior is not something that Mr. Law appreciates. Right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I think another thing that we should look at as we're looking at this uh, class, exemplary classroom leadership is teachers, we have to start leading by example in our classroom. We have to model exactly what we want our students to do. If we expect our students to be prepared, then we have to be prepared. If we expect our students to be on time, we have to be on time. If we expect our students to smile and be happy that they're in this place, then we should smile and be happy that we're in this place. Great, the greatest leaders in the world are not those who lead because I tell you to do something. Do as I say, not as I do. The greatest leaders are the ones who say, watch me. I'm going, you know, I was watching, <laughs> we were watching Wonder Woman. And, 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 and there's a scene in Wonder Woman where, where Wonder Woman goes off on a general that's sitting in a room while the soldiers are fighting. She said, what kind of general are you? What kind of leader are you? 
you're in this room talking about what's going on. Where I'm from, the generals are out there fighting with their soldiers. And I think that when you think about a teacher, if we're not in the trenches with our students, if we're not there leading, showing them, because cognitively, a lot of the things that they, that we are wanting them to gain, they have no experience in. And the only way they're going to get the experience and the exposure to those things is if they see someone else doing it. And we know all too well in this urban area that we teach in that, that those students really don't see those skills displayed a lot of times. There are some exceptions, but for the most part, they learn how to cope with situations from watching their teachers. So if I come in yelling and raising my voice, what happens? They're going to learn that that's okay to do it. Someone makes me mad, I yell and raise my voice. So then when I correct you with that, then they're like, but you did it. So now there's a confusion in it. So we have to learn to lead by example when we're dealing with our students because if not, then regardless, they're going to model exactly what we, what we show them. Yeah, and I think it comes back to that point we were talking about a little bit before this is leadership is about giving people the choice to follow you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is what, you know, Simon Sinek, who wrote Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last, uh, has great TED Talks. Leadership is not determined by the person who leads, it's determined by the people who follow. Mm. And I think in the classroom, it's got to become more about getting kids to follow you as opposed to using, and I know this is a little bit doubtful what we were talking about, is authority. Mm-hmm. Like... Authority, an authority figure wants obedience. (laughs) Someone who is tied to their authority, someone who is a manager, someone who doesn't want to lead people, expects you to do what they want you to because they are in that position. They have the most experience. They have the most knowledge. They have the highest pay grade. They have the highest title. But if you want exemplary classroom leadership, you have to strive for leading through influence and creating loyalty. Mm-hmm. Loyalty is a choice. Stay there real quick. Stay, just, we had a good conversation about this. Go ahead and go into that about that more, about the loyalty. Um, it really made me think, you know, in some of the places I've been and some of the relationships I had, you know, about what loyalty is. My first teaching job down here... Uh, I had an incredibly large amount of loyalty to the athletic coordinator. His name was Tom Johnson. Great man. Really looked out for me. Um, I was loyal to him till the end, until he retired. I was not loyal to his position as athletic coordinator. He was not someone who I viewed as my boss because he had the title of athletic coordinator. I chose to follow him. I chose to be loyal to him, even when he was going through tough times, because of what he had invested in me. And the leadership that he showed. And I've been places and we've worked with people and we see teachers who think that authority creates loyalty. Authority and But authority figures don't want loyalty. They don't want to give you a choice. They expect that as the authority figure, you will be obedient to them. And you know, just to touch on that, I think it's we, 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 breeded, we bred in this society individuals who look for and lean toward respecting more the authority than the authoritative person than the influencer. Yeah. 
And it's almost like when you get the person who's trying to influence you, you you don't know how to respond because you don't know how to react because I'm not used to this. You're giving me an opportunity to choose. You're giving me free will. I mean, we're all, I love what my pastor always says, we're free will agents. We were born with free will. We have the ability to choose where we live, where we eat, where we sleep, everything. Where you work, how you perform at work. So, and when you give people that freedom to say, look, this is your show. How do you want to run it? And let me guide you. Well, how do I guide you? I don't guide you by saying, putting a collar on your neck and saying, come here when I pull you. I walk with you. And as we're walking, I'm saying, hey, man, that's pretty cool over there. Man, have you seen that? No, I've never seen that before. How about we go take a look at it? That's influence. And if you start doing that, if, if leaders start doing that with teachers, then teachers will begin to do that with students. But we know education is more about obedience than it is about influence. Oh, the culture of it is 100% about obedience. But if we went to the predominant culture of our society, especially our kids, influence is everything. That's what's getting this new generation. Everything is about influence. If you look at social media, you look at Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, YouTube, there are people who are making millions of dollars every year by being what's called influencers. Which is a position that you said 20 years ago, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an influencer. What yeah. is that? Yeah, it's the same thing as, you know, now this term of being a thought leader. That was never a term before. But, you know, I don't remember what crazy number, but they said, like, if Beyonce puts your product in one of her Instagram posts, it's basically worth, like, $5 million of advertising. She has so many people that follow her and wow. she influences. That she influences. That she influences. It's about influence. And that's what we're talking about with kids in terms of their attention. Like, these kids are no longer just paying attention to authority figures. Because they see people on the internet as authority figures now. Mm -hmm. They see somebody decided to videotape themselves flipping a water bottle... And that is influencing them. How many kids bought a fidget spinner just because they saw someone else had a fidget spinner? Right. So if we don't start to, as teachers, embrace this idea of leadership through influence, and that influence is about what example you set, because it comes back to our that one session we talked about, about it's about attention. It's about what these kids think is interesting and important. Now, you can either try to make your content interesting or important, or you can make yourself interesting and important. Right. And they'll buy into you before they buy into the content. They will buy into you. It's about buying. Loyalty right. is about buying. Do you buy into the vision I have set for this classroom? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then if we're going to keep going back to Simon Sinek, you know, when he, in that speech, he says, Martin Luther King didn't have the I have a plan speech. Right. He had the I have a dream speech. And people bought into it. So much so that he filled up the... Uh, 250,000 people on the National Mall. Without social media. Without yeah. social media. Yeah. And, you know, it goes to go back to this influence. Uh, I'm reading The Power of Broke, uh, Damon John. And he talks about when he started FUBU that, you know, he did not have the money for big dollar marketing. So what he did was he was trying to influence people. So... He knew there, were, there was an emerging rap culture coming up in New York. 
So he said, I need to find out who are the most influential rappers from New York that I can get to relate to. He said, because all I needed them to do is to, you didn't even have to worry. Let some of your background dancers or some people in your video just walk through the set with the FUBU shirt on. He said, you know, and when he was able to get LL Cool J, who did a soundtrack, and in the soundtrack video for a movie, wore a FUBU jersey. The next thing you know, calls started coming in. Why? Not because he went out there and, and said, you have to buy this. This is the best thing since. No. He influenced the culture by finding those influential people that's going to say, hey, if he does it, then I want to do it. Imagine how powerful it will be in the classroom that students start saying, because you do it, Mr. Krieger, I'm going to do the same thing. That's, that's exactly what it boils down to, is, is a culture of Mr. Krieger values education. He values learning. He values hard work. What do you value? Because, and to circle this back around to, the, you know, to try to wrap it up, what you do says a lot more about what you value than what you say. Absolutely. I can say that I value fitness, but if I show up eating Whataburger every day and I don't ever train, I really don't value fitness. Right. And when you say these things and you don't do them, these kids now understand. They see that you're fake. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's that, what they call you. Yeah. And that means that that relationship then you then once you lose influence, then you're left with authority. That's your only out. That's your only out. Which leads to what we were. I wanted to talk about the difference between bullying and leading. So many teachers have to resort to bullying in a classroom because they don't know how to influence, or they failed at building those relationships. So now I'm just gonna tell you what you're gonna do. Oh, no, you're not going to do that in my classroom. Who do you think you are? Well, my first question is, who do you think you are? Because the teacher doesn't know. The teacher doesn't know. And, and this comes back to the culture of education is, I, I've never felt like individually who I was and who I wanted to be was something that was ever facilitated or ever told me was important until we started talking. There's a lot of the culture that says a teacher is just a teacher and you make it about the content, you make it about the strategy, you don't make it about the person. Right. So when you don't make, as a leader or uh, an administrator, when you don't make it about a person, when you don't make that teacher feel valued as a person, how can you expect that they're going to feel value themselves unless they have it intrinsically and then value their kids through that relationship? And then that, and then this circles back around to what we've been talking about. What what is the meat of this? Is then now we know that teachers don't know the value of what they do. Right. They don't know the value of their craft and the fact that they are among the one percent of the population in this country that affects every other, all ninety nine other percent. Right. There's no profession. You know, we've said it hundreds of times by now. There's no profession on this planet that has not been influenced, whether positively or negatively by a teacher.
That's because there's no, there's not one person on this planet that has not been affected by a teacher in some way, shape, in or some fashion. way, shape, or form. Even if it was you never got to go to school, or you, you know, if you're a kid that dropped out, there's probably a teacher in there that made you want to drop out. Right. That failed you in some type that of failed way. you in some way, or maybe, and, and it could be. We've talked about this too. It could be someone way up your family tree. And every generation, that disdain, that dis- dislike for teachers grows. And I was thinking about this the other night, and I was going to tell you about it. But, like, it seems to me that, like, when those people really have a disdain or dislike for the education system, they can't wrap their head around what the system is. So they pinpoint the most tangible thing which they can, which is the teacher. Wow. Wow. They're mad at the system. The system failed them. But they can't see the complexity and, you know, that's too, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's, it's too broader of a, of a term to really zero in your anger on. So you zero in on the most tangible thing which you could find, which is your kid's teacher. And you come in with that mindset, I'm bad. My education failed me, so it's got to be this teacher that my kid now has, even though I never had that. It's really hard to think of the education system in a tangible way. But the most tangible thing someone who's frustrated with education can find is that teacher. That was profound. I just wrote that down. That's going in our paper. Um, (laughs) Because that's so true. They're they're targeting the closest thing that they can touch. It's the most... It's the most applicable. They can't get to someone who's on, really, they can't get to a school board member. They probably can't get to a principal. They can't get to a superintendent. They're not going to TEA. They are going to vent that frustration and that pain that they have from their bad experience. At the teacher. At the teacher because that's the easiest target for them to find. And the reality is they can get to the school board. They can get to the superintendent. They can get to TEA. They can get to the national, on the national level. But that requires work. That requires energy. And that requires a certain amount of proper etiquette. Because now you can't go against the system angry because anger is not going to change a system. You have to go to a system um, consolidated in your thought, conscientious of your moves, and knowing that what I'm doing right now is going to help resolve a problem and not create a greater one. You know, I just heard the other day that, 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 that a teacher was, was spit on by a parent. That blew my mind. Because I'm saying, what possibly could you have done to deserve for a parent, an adult... To, to, to spit on you. What what type of disrespect did the parent go through from, from past experience that caused this to manifest in this right now? And I think this is this hits it right on the head. You're the closest thing to, to my target. You're you're the easiest tar- you're you're the in terms of solving that pain and solving that problem, the teacher is the lowest hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is the easiest target, it's the easiest outlet for that pain. Because let's call it what it is. It's pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so, you know, I mean, really coming back around to it with what we've said with exemplary classroom leadership, 
we have to start to change the experiences of kids now. So when they come, you know, to be very, to be parents, they will look to honor those teachers because the because te- the parents who have had great high, uh, school experiences honor their kids' teachers. Mm-hmm. They value their kids' teachers, and I think that's what we really should strive for. And it comes, you know, it really says to me we spend so much time trying to change the adults in education, and we don't worry about how the kids are being treated. And what it's doing to them. We say it's all for the kids, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It has to completely be student-centered, student-focused. Yeah. All right. I think that um, I think that's a good closing point. Um, I'll ask you, do you have any last tidbits you want to leave them with? No, I really, I really hope that, and this is something we're going to hammer and pound. It's one of our core beliefs that, that influence matters. Influence matters more than authority. That is my number one uh, belief when it comes to, to teachers. And I believe still to this day that teachers are not content providers. They're, they're agents of social change. They can change the culture. They can change a student's, lives, uh, a student's life through that relationship. But we are not even thinking about what that relation, the ramifications of the relationship. So I really hope that, uh, you know, as we work, if you've got questions, influence over authority. Influence over authority. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you, Kyle, for that. That was amazing. I gleaned a lot of information, and we talked about this before, but still taking notes here as, as you were speaking. Yeah. Um, I just want to encourage everybody to Go by and check out our website, www.theledproject.com. Um, hit us up. Leave us comments. Request if you want to be a guest and you have something that you want to contribute to the uh, educational process, hit us up. We'll be glad to um, Skype in with you, FaceTime in with you, and get you on a podcast. We think that the more people speak out and make it public and not have the behind-the-closed-doors meetings, and conversations that won't amount to any change, the better. So again, we're here to influence, we're here to inspire, we're here to make sure that everyone understands that the teacher's voice matters, the student's voice matters, and education at the grassroots level depends on the teacher. So again, signing off here with podcast number 13, I'm Wilkie Law with Kyle Krieger. We are the LED Project, and we'll see you next time.